This time I'd like to introduce our speaker, and she's really been almost doing double duty. She spoke last Thursday morning at Cincinnati Outpost, and we had a glitch with our speaker tonight. She had a baby a little earlier than we expected, and so and it was a C-section, so she could not be here. So, so we are so blessed that Sandy has stepped in and said, okay, I'll do it again. So just a little information about her. She's married to David Hess. He is a gastroenterologist with a practice in Cincinnati, and I got that word out. I'm proud of it. She has three children and one with special needs. She's been facilitating ladies' Bible studies for over 20 years. She has a real passion for the Word of God. It is her desire to assist ladies any way she can. And she's so thankful for the ladies' Bible studies because they have been instrumental in her spiritual growth and have been a tremendous help to her during difficult times. And I think, again, that's another plug for our Bible studies that we have because they do help us carry us many times. So, Sandy, will you come and share? Good evening, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. I have to acknowledge when I was first invited to speak, uh, my initial thought was, what in the world could I possibly have to offer any of you? And after much prayer and going before the Lord, it really became very evident to me, it's not about me, it's not about my feelings, not so much even about what I have to say, but it's about walking in obedience and giving all the honor and glory to God. Amen. Amen. I'm going to begin by saying when Jesus first began his public ministry, the message from Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 in particular is a verse I want to reference to. The verse speaks of how Jesus was anointed to go and preach the good news to the poor. He was sent to bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to release the prisoners from darkness. I'm here today to testify to you that that's exactly what he's done for me. He bound up my wounds, he set me free from the darkness that had so pervaded my life. And prior to my coming to know the Lord, I have to say I thought I was living free. However, freedom according to the world is very different than the freedom we experience walking with Christ Jesus. And our society, self, is exalted. While in God's kingdom, humility and total dependence upon the Lord is what is required. That's what glorifies him. In the world, we're told to take control, choose our own path. While Jesus said, if you would be his disciple, take up your cross and follow him. Because whoever loses his life for Jesus' sake will find it. The world would also have us believe that there are many roads that lead to heaven, many paths. But Jesus is very clear in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus alone is truth. And if you know the truth, you will be set free. I praise God that I have been set free from the binding chains of this world, the vain philosophies, years of looking to the world for answers to the void that I felt so strongly for so very long. Remembering those earlier years and realizing today where God has brought me, I'm in complete awe of him. I'm passionate about my faith and the word of God. 
One scripture that I like to keep foremost in my mind is Luke 12, 48. From everyone who has been given much, much is required. And also in Luke 7, to him who has been forgiven much, loves much. God has forgiven so very much in my life, and he has most certainly blessed me with as much as well. I'm eternally grateful, and I pray with everything in me to honor and serve him, as he alone is most worthy. Ravi Zacharias, an apologist and one of my favorite Christian writers, made this statement in one of his recent books called The Grand Weaver. God, the Grand Weaver, seeks those with tender hearts so that he can put his imprint on them. Your hurts, your disappointments are part of that design to shape your heart and the way you feel about reality. The hurts you live through will always shape you. There simply is no other way. We all experience pain and disappointments at some point in our life. I believe it's how we process them in our minds that makes the difference. They can either embitter us and destroy us, or they can make us wiser and stronger and draw us closer to Jesus. I've learned much from my past, painful though it was, and if what I endured was necessary to bring me to my senses and the reality of my tremendous need for Christ, well then, it was absolutely worth it. I wasn't raised in a Christian home, far from it to be quite honest. My parents were both blue-collar workers, my mother having worked in a factory for as long as I can remember, my dad worked for the railroad, neither of them ever having completed even an eighth grade education. So to say that life was not easy would be an understatement. We grew up poor, the one blessing being I didn't realize just how poor we were until someone pointed it out to me one day. But one of the saddest and most difficult things for me as a small child was waking up each morning with my mom already gone and off to work and getting myself ready for school. Coming home was no different, my sisters and I having virtually raised ourselves. Knowing my parents' backgrounds now as I do, I've accepted that that was the best that they could do for me at the time. The memories, however, of those early years were scarring. They left deep impressions on my mind feelings of abandonment. Those were my formative years, the shaping and molding that takes place. Children learn what they live, and for me, life was very difficult. My parents drank, argued, even physically abused each other. It wasn't even uncommon at times to have the police in our home. For those calls of domestic violence, and worse still, was when the neighbors would call and report the violence. And then to be so embarrassed when I had to go to school the next day, realizing that everyone in our neighborhood was very well aware of what was taking place in our home. Over time, I guess I just got used to stuffing my feelings and grew more and more insecure. I never thought about praying because God was not talked about in our home. Prayers were seldom said, if ever. And so to my limited understanding, God lived up there, I lived down here, never the twain should meet. One thing my parents did do well, however, was to teach us the value of a good, hard work ethic. We were not allowed to be lazy or ever to just sit around. After completing high school, I just looked for a full-time job, as college was not an option. That was never discussed either. So become a hard worker was exactly what I did, and it did have its rewards. In various jobs, I was the first one there, the last one to leave. I'd actually go and look for work so as not to be idle. I guess you could say I was driven to succeed. I just had to make it. 
my self-esteem being so much at stake. I eventually achieved a position as an account executive in one of the top three agencies in Cincinnati. More importantly to me, however, was the fact that I was the only one who held the position without a college degree. In my mind, I had reached the pinnacle of success. Not having that piece of paper, that degree, was something that I had always felt extremely insecure about. I looked to the world to validate my significance. You see, I made up my mind when I was in my late teens and early 20s that I was going to steer my life in a totally different direction from the one that I experienced growing up. I believed that there were certain life choices that I could make then just as I do now. Choices that can put us on the right road and lead us in the right direction. And one choice I made early on was to never date anyone who drank too much. I realized that there are many young girls who want to marry someone like their father. And while I believe I loved my father, I just did not want to marry anyone that was like him. I also had pretty high standards when it came to what their life's path was. I had dedicated a lot of my time and my energy to growing professionally. So I was looking for someone who thought a lot about their future as well. Someone who would not be content with just the status quo. I knew how hard I was working, how much I was sacrificing, so I was not going to settle for just anyone. And I certainly did not want a repeat of the environment that I grew up in. I was committed to going in the different direction with my life, and if that meant that I was going to remain single, so be it. And for the longest time, that is exactly what it looked like. Hindsight, they say, is always 2020. I was living my life very much conformed to the pattern of the world. Work hard, play hard. I was in the driver's seat. I was in control of my destiny, so I thought. Morality was not even something that I had even really given much thought to. To me, liberty, being free, was doing what I wanted, when and how I wanted. I was not accountable to anyone. Self was the god of my life. Self-sufficient, self-expressive, plain old selfish. In the 60s, 70s, and 80s, life was all about the emancipation of women. We could have it all. Equal rights for women. Think of how far that movement has progressed to this day. We actually have abortion being sanctioned by our very own government. I was so jaded. I bought into it all, and I was trying desperately to convince myself that I was happy. But I was far from it. I was alone. I was afraid for my future. And really, I was just tired of coming home to an empty apartment. My life at that time in my mid-twenties exemplified a life without Christ. I was trusting in self and coming up empty. But that was all I really knew to do. The enemy of our souls wants us to believe that we're missing out on something. He takes us to places that we don't necessarily want to go, and he has us doing things we don't really want to do. Proverbs 16.25 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. When we make decisions apart from the wisdom and guidance of the Holy Spirit, we're like a ship trying to sail without a compass. We do what makes the most sense to us at the time, based on our own wisdom. Just like the theme from the book of Judges, they did what was right in their own eyes. But we must remember our most profound human thinking is as foolishness to God. I bought into the philosophy of the world and what it defined as success and happiness. My search for significance led me to looking for love in all the wrong places. 
Sexual promiscuity was a big part of our culture then and is even more so now. I could not even date men without sex becoming the one big issue that would make or break any relationship. I was just sick of it. I resented the pressure to have sex and I disliked myself more and more when I was weak and would give in. Until finally I had enough and I just decided to stop dating altogether. I distinctly remember telling a guy that I really liked that I was not going to date him anymore if he was going to continue to pressure me about having sex. He replied that I shouldn't expect to date him anymore if I wasn't willing to have sex. (laughs) So after a long period of not dating anyone, one night, lonely, going out, I had way too much to drink, and I ended up becoming pregnant. I was 27 at the time and literally stunned to find myself in such a predicament. The father was someone I had known from my past, but that didn't change the reality of my situation. After much discussion, the bottom line was quite simply that he was not interested in being a father, and I was unwilling to give up my child. I share all this because this is when I really started thinking long and hard about my future. It was no longer just about me. God was not yet a part of my personal life, but I would say that he was definitely working through my circumstances. I had not given much thought to spirituality in any domain prior to this. I still believed that I was the one that was in control of my life, and unbeknown to me at that time, God had other plans. My mother always did tell me that I was a stubborn person, and I was bullheaded, whatever that means. (laughs) I guess I was just someone who needed to experience a few hard knocks before I came to my senses. But now here I was, single, alone, and pregnant. That was definitely not part of my success plan. I convinced myself at the time, everything's okay. You're a successful businesswoman. You make good money. You can do this. You can raise a child on your own. Who needs a man? I had made it this far by myself, and I truly did want children. So why not have my baby and be a single mom? I certainly wasn't the first one to do it. Society seemed to embrace single parenting more and more. And stuffing my true feelings, well, that was not anything new to me. And I still had yet to hit bottom. That is, until one day at work, I was told I was going to be demoted from my position. My clients were very conservative, and the higher-ups at my agency that I worked for thought it would be best to replace me until I had given birth. I was not going to be fired from my job, and I would eventually get my position back. This was just considered what was best for everyone. I was overwhelmed with feelings of anger, bitterness, and just tremendous shame. I thought to myself, they can't do this. They can't get away with this. This is illegal. I sought out an agency that I heard of called Women Helping Women, and they confirmed I was right. Legally speaking, they could not demote me just because I was pregnant, but I was advised to think through my options. If I went to file suit, I would create such trouble that I would probably be blacklisted from ever working at any agency in Cincinnati. I also needed to consider my health insurance. I was pregnant and I needed insurance. I needed my job and the money. And I was grateful for that agency and their objective thinking. I could not see very clearly at the time. Now I had to deal with the humility of going to work every day and work for the very individuals who once worked for me. My humbling was just now really getting started. I was so bitter about everything. Despair just covered me like a blanket. I became very difficult to work with. 
so much so that my boss decided to hold a conference for everyone on our team. And I was told that I was to go into that conference room and apologize to everyone for being so difficult to work with. That was probably one of the lowest days of my life. Looking back on those memories, I'd have to say, but for God's mercy and grace, I don't think I could have endured that entire situation. I realized I had no one to blame, which just amplified my feelings of insecurity even more. My own family was not thrilled as well with my predicament. I soon discovered that my mother was ashamed of me as well. I wasn't even allowed to go into the beauty parlor to pick her up from her weekly Friday appointment. She didn't want anyone to see me in my condition. So I just dealt with the feelings the only way I knew how. I just suppressed everything, buried it deep inside. I went into a survival mode of sorts and just narrowed my focus to the life inside of me. Now as my delivery time drew closer, I remember vividly the look of anxiety on the nurse's face who was caring for me in the labor and delivery room at the hospital. Things were not apparently progressing too well. My nurse was rolling me from side to side, attempting to raise the heart rate of my baby. And after several attempts to get in touch with a delivery room doctor, she finally arrived some seven hours later. The question now became whether or not to do a cesarean section or to proceed with a normal vaginal delivery. The latter was chosen and it did not go well. I had a high forceps delivery which ultimately left my baby with a right parietal skull fracture. A pretty hard thing to do when a newborn skull is so malleable so as to fit through the birth canal. Lindsay, my precious daughter and gift from God, was born at 12.01 on November the 28th. Her APGAR scores were only four and seven. Not so great. She was immediately taken to the newborn intensive care unit, and I was later informed that she may not survive the night. She had already stopped breathing three times. So I was alone in complete shock with all of this news, yet God and his mercy had other plans. And after a two-week stay in the hospital, we were released. Lindsay was quite sickly that first year of her life, and we made many, many trips to the emergency room. Personally, I don't believe I've ever experienced such gut-wrenching pain. I cried out to God on behalf of my child. This is all my fault. Don't punish her, I would cry. She's innocent. It amazes me that when the bottom does finally fall out, that's when many of us turn to God. Somehow, instinctively, we know that he is the only one who can change things. He's the only one that can help and make a difference. I returned to work, and my boss was faithful about restoring me to my job. Life was challenging, but we were getting by. Then a few years later, things began to finally look up. I had met someone who would later become my husband. I did not realize it then, but I can now say that he was handpicked by God just for me. Around that same time, I had been meeting periodically with a friend. She would share things about God, and I would politely listen to her. Mm -hmm. Then one day, she invited me to a full gospel business meeting. I had no idea what that was all about. (laughs) I just wanted her to meet my soon-to-be husband, so I conceded to go. Not the purest motive, I realized, but the Lord does work in mysterious ways. (laughs) Well, that meeting changed my life for all eternity. All I know is that that room was filled with people. Various speakers have talked, and someone eventually asked if there was anyone who needed to turn their life over to Jesus Christ. I can say with all sincerity, 
I don't know how, but my hand shot up in the air. And I couldn't get out of my chair fast enough to go forward for prayer. There were no feelings of insecurity, no concerns about who was looking at me. All I knew is that I desperately needed God in my life. Soon after I attended a home Bible study, I was definitely interested and couldn't wait to go. A spark had been ignited, and I wanted to really learn more. I had no idea what I was walking into upon entering my friend's house. This small crowd gathered around me, embracing me, telling me they had been praying for me for a year. I was an answer to their prayers. Wow, I couldn't believe that. I couldn't really understand it, actually. I didn't know what to think. However, when it came time for me to return to that Bible study, all my insecurities were once back because they all sat around with these huge Bibles in their laps. They, they were quoting passages of Scripture, and I remember thinking to myself, this will never work for me. I hate to read, and I hate to read a book as big as that Bible. I was at the time what you would call a non-scholastic plastic person. I absolutely hated reading. I didn't want to have to think. I was plastic. I lived my life as a fraud. I wanted everyone to believe that I had everything under control. It was so much easier, I thought, to just survive and just get through another day. Now, facing these people, I was intimidated and thought to myself, I certainly won't be returning here. But once again, God had other plans. The people in that small group became a lifeline for me. They took me in, they counseled me, ministered to me like nothing I've ever experienced. As much as I was excited to be there, I believe that they were equally as excited since I was an answer to their prayers. (laughs) And when I think of that, it's just so miraculous how God works. My friend who went with me, she took me to purchase a Bible, and I actually started reading it. I, who hated reading anything, let alone that huge book like the Bible, I'm here to tell you my eyes were opened. The Lord met me in those pages like nothing I've ever experienced. I was like a sponge, absorbing and thirsting for more and more. I just couldn't get enough. I actually couldn't wait to sit and read and talk with God. Most of the time in the beginning, it would be in the middle of the night when I was restless, anticipating my future. But I discovered a true love for reading, learning all he could fill my mind with. And one specific verse that really jumped out at me in the beginning was Proverbs 24, 3 and 4. It says, By wisdom, a house is built. With understanding, it is established. With knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. God opened my mind to embracing that scripture. I realized, first and foremost, my desperate need for him. That was certainly the beginning of wisdom. Understanding my need for a personal relationship with him, to come to know who he was, his character, his love, and his acceptance of me. That was the beginning of my being established in the truth, my newfound freedom. Then the knowledge of the rare and beautiful treasures were the precious teachings that were being revealed to me continually through the study of his word. My life was literally being transformed with this verse. God knew just how much I needed him then and how much I was going to need him in the future. For it was just about a week after my coming to the Lord that I was going to be married. And this began a whole new set of trials. My focus now became building a home for my husband and my child. Understanding how important it was for our foundation as a family to be established in the word of God. 
our future together, would hold those rare and beautiful treasures as we studied God's word and lived by his commands. I was filled with so much anticipation. Maybe you've heard of the dangers of a new Christian. (laughs) I was going to change the world for Jesus. I had no problem telling everyone and anyone that I ran into about my new life in Christ. Unfortunately, my husband was not walking with the Lord at that time. He had his own problems that he was dealing with. Dave and I had met when he was a medical student, and his family made it quite clear early on that they were not too happy with the prospect of his marrying me, a single mother with a mentally challenged child. What could possibly be worse? He was going to be a doctor, and surely he could do better. My self-preservation kicked in big time. The awful feeling of rejection, not being good enough, were back, and overpowering. I told him he was going to have to make a choice. His parents, unfortunately, were going through a divorce at the same time, which strained our relationship even more. But God is sovereign and in control of our circumstances. No one, friends or family, believed that our marriage would last a year, let alone nearly 30 years now. In fact, I remember when my father-in-law drove us to the airport for our honeymoon. He didn't even think we could survive that. (laughs) I stayed connected to my Bible study and became active in my church. I was just learning about Christ and what it meant to be his disciple. I was growing in my faith, and there were still many issues to be dealt with. I had lived alone for nine-plus years and was more than self-sufficient, I remembered many times thinking to myself, if God designed marriage to be between a man and a woman living together under one roof, why in the world did he make them so different? (laughs) Life was so stressful for us, and one evening after a huge argument, we just knelt beside our bed and begged God to help us. Dave recommitted his life to Christ, and together we were going to move forward. We had to move to Boston for his fellowship training, and it proved to be one of the very best things for us, away from home, away from the pressures of family, and just having each other and God to depend on. That was perfect for us. We found a wonderful church, and I connected with a ladies' Bible study group, something I would encourage any of you everywhere. Ladies' Bible studies, that's the best. I can say with all sincerity, those studies were vital to my spiritual growth. And one study in particular was titled Daughters of Sarah, and it was captivating. This is back in the 80s. I'm sure it's advanced tremendously. (laughs) I learned so much from Genesis to 1 Peter 3 about God's role for men and women in marriage. Such insightful teachings. My spirit was open and receptive to receive all that God had for me in this study. I genuinely wanted to be that all that God had created for me to be set free from all my worldly thinking. I no longer needed the affirmation from the world. I began to truly see that the wisdom of the world was indeed foolishness to God. I was right where I needed to be. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 reads, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are high, higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And 2 Samuel twenty two thirty one, As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. Amen to that. These verses were and are so very comforting. What more could I ever ask for? God was leading me. 
He was teaching me, and he was enabling me to live rightly before him. He was my shield, my protector. I could run to him and find help in my times of need. The scales were slowly being removed from my eyes. I had a passion to learn all that I could about marriage and God's design for man and woman. I have since been able to see myself as being blessed by God to be a stay-at-home mother, this having been my heart's desire for so very long. I began to study and read about prayer. It was not a chore to be done. It was a privilege, precious time in fellowship with the God of the universe. Some of the sweetest times I've ever experienced and continue to experience to this day are those times when I am shut up alone in my prayer closet. God knows everything that's in my heart, every concern that I have for my marriage, for my husband, for my children, all that's in me. He taught me about the true power of prayer, of praying his word, of speaking it aloud out into the void and believing it would accomplish all that he had set out for it. When I began praying for my husband and for our marriage, things changed. Most importantly, I was changing. My heart was filled with such overwhelming love for my Heavenly Father. My desire was and is to honor Him in whatever way I possibly can. I'm now living in total freedom, secure in His love, and complete in His acceptance of me. My past is in the past. My sins are covered by my precious Savior's blood. I am redeemed. He took me out of the pit, and He set me on the rock, which is the firm foundation of life in Christ Jesus. The message of love and forgiveness through Jesus Christ may seem like foolishness to the world, but it is the very power of God to someone like myself who has been forgiven so much. I can't begin to imagine facing all that I've endured to this day without God's love, without his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy. Being pregnant and unmarried was difficult to work through, and giving birth to my child alone with all the trauma is even harder for me to put into words. There's a grieving process that I also had to work through when I realized one day that my child would never be normal. Lindsay, however, has taught our family volumes about unconditional love. When people are unkind, she forgives and she never holds a grudge. She's not entangled by the things of the world. Her needs are very basic. She's content with little, and she doesn't ever really ask for anything. She exudes some of the most Christ-like qualities of anyone I've ever known. She has taught us what's really important in life. We have our challenges, but the blessings far outweigh them. I'm also blessed with an extraordinary gift from God and my husband and two other children. Ravi Zacharias has said that we all experience an inner longing, a soul longing, a hungering for the divine that only Christ can fill that only Christ can answer that longing. Cultures all over the world experience this longing, but only Christianity can give you the divine. Not humanism, not Islam, not Buddhism, Taoism, none of the isms. We cannot minimize our relationship with Christ. We must have that contact daily with him. The more scripture we have in our mind and hearts, the more readily we can be transformed. I find his quote to be so very important. The more scripture that we have in our minds and our hearts, that is what we have the most need of. The word of God is our shield. It's our protection, our sword for battle. It is the bread of life nurturing our spirits. Just as Romans 12.2 states, 
Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We may live in this world, but we are not of this world. God has called us to come out of the world and be separate. That's what the word holy means, to be set apart. We are set apart for his use. We are the very witnesses of a life transformed by God to a watching world. And he has given us his Holy Spirit to dwell inside us and to make it possible for us to live transformed lives. Many of you have heard me say before, how can you love and trust someone if you don't know them? Not know about them, know being the operative word. Knowing takes an investment of your time and your energy. Knowing also connotes intimacy, time experiencing someone. In this busy hurry-up world, being productive seems to mean being involved in every club, organization, and ministry to the point that we have frittered away precious time. We may look good to the world, but how do we look in God's eyes? Does anyone else's opinion really matter? Busyness in our lives may make us feel productive, but are we really? Productivity in God's kingdom would be time spent sitting still, sitting at his feet, learning of him and learning of his ways, being conformed to the image of his son, gaining real hearts of wisdom. That isn't how I can say I know I have personally grown in my faith. I know of no other way. The Bible speaks several times of the importance of being still before the Lord. And I can testify, being still is not all that easy. But it is worth practicing if you desire to hear from God. He brings home this truth to us in the beautiful example of the story of Martha and Mary from the book of Luke. Martha, like many of us wives and mothers, was busy doing noble things like preparing food in the house for Jesus and his guests. She wanted Mary, her sister, to help her. But Jesus reprimanded Martha, saying, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. The one thing needed being time alone with the Lord. I'm certain we've all heard this story before, but do we sincerely grasp the significance of this message? Mary was memorialized for all eternity for having chosen what was best. Martha, on the other hand, was chastened by our Lord because she was worried and upset about many things. We've all been there. We've all been distracted, allowing our focus to shift from God to our circumstances, sometimes so much so that our lives are being controlled by our flesh and our circumstances rather than being controlled by his spirit, whom we ultimately neglect and grieve. Our real freedom comes from knowing the truth, the person of Jesus Christ. Time with our Lord, time in his word, learning of him and his ways, the word of God being a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. How else can we ever hope to learn what truly pleases our Lord? John 14:21 says that whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. So his commands to us are not burdensome. He has equipped us with everything we need to live rightly before him, to honor him and to glorify him. His desire toward us is always, always what's going to be best for us. I cannot emphasize that fact enough. 
If God knows the very number of hairs on your head and every thought before it becomes a word on your lips, surely he knows exactly what we have need of. And his timing is never too early. It's never too late. It's always right on time. And time you've heard said before, time is the gift that God has given to us and how we use it is our gift to him. The Bible describes our life as but a mist that soon vanishes. We need to have godly wisdom when it comes to managing our time. And we need to ask ourselves, what are we allowing in our lives to take precedence over time with our Lord? Realize as well that in God's economy, everything is a matter of the heart. Man may look on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. He knows what's in our hearts, what the motive and the intention of everyone's heart is. And I find that fact personally very liberating. I can't hide one thing from him. Not one thought. He knows it all. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Yet, he's made every provision for me to spend eternity with him. Can anything else possibly be more comforting? 1 Peter 1.5 states that we are kept by the very power of God through faith. I don't have to live in fear. I belong to him. When I take the time to ponder that scripture and the tremendous love of God... I am in awe of him. Truly only he is awesome. God's love for us has nothing to do with what we are like, our inadequacies, or even our adequacies for that matter. God wants our hearts. In Genesis 6, we read about the flood and how the Lord saw how great man's wickedness was on the earth. How every inclination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil all the time. And the Lord was grieved in his heart that he had made man. His heart was filled with pain. That verse just pierces my heart. I don't believe the world we're living in today is really anything different. In fact, I'd say the devil is alive and well on planet Earth. We're living in the days when the world sees good as evil and evil as good. But we, ladies, have the wisdom that is from above. We have God's Holy Spirit living in each of us. We are reminded to be wise, understanding the day in which we live. We are told to live sober-minded, purposefully, knowing the truth Jesus and sharing him with others. When I think to myself that it was because someone cared enough to introduce me to Jesus Christ, I am so humbled because I very well may not be standing here, but for her obedience to Christ. We have nothing to give this lost and perishing world if we are not drinking from the well of living water ourselves. God will not impose himself on us. His desire is that we respond to his many love calls to us, such as, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Or, draw near to God, and he will draw nearer to you, and so many more. He waits for us to come, to draw near, to seek him, to be still before him. And he created us for the very purpose of having fellowship with him. Personally, my goal is to live my life like Enoch in the Old Testament. Enoch walked so closely with God and so intimately that he was no more. God simply took him away. Wouldn't that be nice? In closing, Oswald Chambers said that there is only one liberty, and that is the liberty of Jesus at work in our conscience, enabling all of us to do what is right. 
I've experienced and continue to experience God's transforming power and presence in my life. I will, however, acknowledge I'm still a work in progress, I am still under construction, and I expect to be so until God takes me home. But my heart's desire is for all of us is that we would truly know Jesus and experience him in all the fullness that we possibly can on this side of eternity. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.